Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello, my name is Laura Lee Rourke, and this is the It's Not About Food podcast. And today we're talking to Janice Bremis, and we're going to be talking to her about the Body Love Card Acceptance. And the front of the card is the goddess sitting on a beach, holding her knees, and on the other side, she's holding on to her dear dog animal and sitting on the beach and sort of seeing that there is an acceptance, that that is the ocean. That doesn't mean you have to drown in the ocean, but there is an ocean, if you will. And in the back of the card is the description of what we're talking about when we talk about acceptance in the eating disorder world, if you will, the recovery. Acceptance means to honor and respect our body and ourself exactly as we are right now in this moment. When we step into acceptance... We stop struggling and fighting, and we begin to make peace with ourselves. This empowers our body and ourself to be who we really are in this moment. It takes us out of the obsession of wanting to be different and allows us to be more present with ourselves and therefore better able to meet our needs. So I know for me, in my own recovery and the recovery that I've been honored to witness for many years of other people, that really that is one of the hardest things is to accept who we really are, to accept the body that we have, and to accept that we even have an eating disorder, we're having an issue with this, but to accept that and come from that place of this is what it is, it is what it is, radical acceptance, and how can I use it to further my What do I need to learn from it? How can I make peace with it? It's usually the fight against something that hurts. The acceptance is sort of a letting go. That doesn't mean we still have work to do, but we can let go of the fight. For me, that was a huge piece when I gave up dieting and I gave up the struggle of trying to control myself at all times and just let myself be. I found out I really wasn't that bad of a person and I wasn't going to run naked down the street (laughs) willy-nilly and rob all the banks. I was fine. But I had a really bad feeling that if I didn't keep pushing, that all would be lost. And it was really the opposite, that I got to see and know what I was really doing. And a lot of it was just really trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. So I can't think of another person that's better for this card right now than you. I know that you've been doing this a really long time, and I want you to tell us what it is that you are doing and where can we find you and whatever you want to tell us about you and your organization. My name is Janice Bremis, and I've struggled with an eating disorder since age 17, and I'm now 64. I In 2000. I was diagnosed with lymphoma, cancer, and uh, non-Hodgkin's. And at that point, I thought, 
thought, oh my gosh, my life is going to end. So I said I wanted to do something. I always wanted to start an eating disorder resource center because in Silicon Valley, there was actually no resources for support, education, advocacy. So I met, kind of met with all the local professionals here. Stanford had some good programs and Stanford was doing research, but there weren't any programs for those struggling and their families. So that's why I founded it. I always compare it to like the Leukemia Society because when I was diagnosed with lymphoma, I was able to go to support groups. I was able to read up on it and talk to other people who have been through it. So that's kind of why I started the Eating Disorder Resource Center. We're really small. We're a grassroots organization. We rely totally on volunteers. Right now I have one part-time staff and the main things we do is provide weekly support groups throughout three different places in Silicon Valley in Los Gatos, in Mountain View, and in Palo Alto. And we have both for families members and for those who are struggling. And we have a call center where we help people via email, text, phone, or just dropping by our office. And I think we almost get more phone calls from family members than we do from those struggling because I think the illness is really hard for family members to understand. And a lot of times the people with the illness who are struggling with the illness are in denial or don't want help or they might be ashamed or embarrassed. So that's why we're trying to raise awareness. And one of the things we started in 2009 was a writing contest, which we have in our schools every year. And it's called Everybody's Beautiful Essay Contest. And we've gotten almost probably a thousand essays over the years from middle and high school students. And we have them answer a few questions about how does the media affect our appearance, our acceptance of ourselves, how does the media affect us, and then what is beautiful to us, and a few other questions. And we get the best essays. So it's kind of fun. And this year we are in the process of receiving essays right now. So part of that, the whole process of the essay contest is promoting accepting yourself. So that's kind of like the main message of it. And to realize that the media literacy is sometimes it's junk stuff. Of course. Or it's altered or it's not always real life. And like you were saying in your acceptance that we have to accept reality. Mm-hmm. And we educate physicians. We, we partner with our local professionals, many of whom you know, to do trainings for physicians at CME meetings or nonprofits we go to and bring CEUs to them. And we go to the place rather than having a meeting. I know there's a lot of eating disorder organizations that have meetings at hotels or at treatment center, but then people have to go there. So our method is we take the education to wherever they're at, whatever site they're at. That is so great. That is so great. And I want to just say something that I say when I go into schools and I talk about the media being not your friend around this issue, because they're going to tell you the images are going to be things that we can never even live up to, because a lot of times they've been photoshopped and computer generated. And by the end, it's not even a real person, really. And the misinformation that's out there about eating disorders and bodies and what we need to do to be healthy, that what we're talking about when we say the media is not the New York Times newspaper, we're talking about the magazine pictures and we're talking about the advertising agencies that are there 
hired to make you feel bad about something so that you'll buy their product to fix that something. And it's different than like fake news. You know, it is kind of fake news. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that up, Lee, because yesterday I watched C-SPAN all the time and they were talking about the news and they had the editor of Time Magazine and three or four other well-known editors. I don't think they had anybody from the Wall Street, but they were saying that it's kind of like in a way similar to what the media does with our body image. Same with the facts about political things that we don't know what's fact and what's reality. And even the news stations, you don't know which news station is maybe influenced or it's just really frustrating because, and the people tend to watch the news that they already believe in. So they don't see the other side of the picture. So Yeah, even this podcast, this is my opinion and this is your opinion. Right. This might not be the truth from, you know, higher up. It's just what we have found in our own recovery or in our own work to be true. But it's an opinion show and it's a talk show and it's a podcast. But I'm not saying anything that's not true for me, that's for sure. And somebody might be in somewhere going, well, I couldn't do that to get recovery. I had to go on a really strict diet for many, many years. And when I say diets don't work, that they're saying, well, that's not true for me. And that's fine to really figure out what is true for you. That's the most important thing. So I'm glad we talked about this because I know that it gets confusing because the media is the bad guys all over the place, but we're talking about a different kind of media, the media that's not really journalistic, fact-based. Yeah, that's the word. They're not true journalism. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Right. When I chose acceptance, the first thing I thought about is that acceptance is probably my best quality because I accept people, I accept things, situations, and I'm very welcoming, yet I cannot accept myself. Acceptance, it's really hard for me to accept myself, and it's kind of weird that I'm so accepting of others, but I still, at age 64, do not accept myself. I'm, I don't know why it's so hard, but I think that's just how it's been all my life. I think back to, I have a picture of me when I was in third grade on my on bulletin board, and I look at the picture and I say, oh my gosh, at that point, I accepted myself. You know, I just went along life and accepted myself and had no issues with food and was kind of like the leader of the group and had all this energy and felt I could do anything. And then over the years, I kind of lost that. I'm not sure where in my childhood I lost that. It was probably around doubts started coming in high school and then maybe around graduation and that time. And maybe I'm not going to be able to do well in college. And then you start judging yourself. And, and I think there's so many people judging us too. And I think people with eating disorders are more sensitive. So like when your family member or a friend says something, you take it more personal and then dwell on it. Whereas I think other people, it would just go right past them or they would say, oh no. So I always find that I think for people with eating disorders, accepting yourself is really harder than for the average person, even though we all struggle with it. But Yeah. Well, I know that if we had to accept the fact that we had three legs and everybody else has two legs and we're told that the people with two legs were great, 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 and the people with three legs were too much of three-legged people or something, it would be hard to accept yourself. But really, we're all the same and we just take, I don't know, for me, I was very perfectionistic. I came from a family that was very look-oriented, so I didn't get a lot of acceptance and love unless 
unless I looked a certain way in my culture, in my church, in my home. And I had to acquiesce in order to get along, if you will. It took a long, long time to get over that and just be okay with how I look because this is my genetic coding and this is how I come and I'm healthy and take care of myself, but I'm not going to look like a 12-year-old girl my whole life. That's just not going right, to happen. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think accepting differences is what's key. I wish we could accept to be more accepting. I think that causes wars and struggles and everything is if people were more accepting, we'd get along better and the world would be more peaceful. For sure. You look at countries fighting and they're fighting people that look exactly like them that just believe a little teeny bit differently. It's crazy. Yeah. My struggle with the eating disorder, the voices are always still going to be in my head. But what I think is helping now is that as I age, I've had to accept so many challenges. Two years ago, I fractured my femur, and so I don't play basketball anymore. I've really slowed down, and as you age, I find that aging has been really hard to accept, and the idea of loss, I'm going to lose my parents, and I just lost a dear friend, 25, mm. to bulimia, oh. and I went to her funeral Sunday, and it was like, I have to accept that I knew her for four years. I tried so hard to help her, and I couldn't get through to her. I feel kind of like I failed her. So I'm thinking about your acceptance. I guess I have to accept that I couldn't change what she was going through, no matter how hard I tried. Because right now, since the funeral was Sunday, today I'm really still kind of angry. <laughs> and I'm feeling that anger part. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, why did this happen? You think, well, I wish it was me. We would exchange places or something. Because she had so much life and so many years to go. And she was an ice dancer and just a beautiful person. So that's what I'm finding really hard to accept right now. When you're thinking about in the moment, those are two things that are hard to accept. Well, I know for me, I've recently lost some really good friends. And so first of all, anger and sadness and let's make a deal and depression and all of that is just parts of the grieving process that we all go through when we lose somebody we love and we think about losing someone. So you're in a time that your parents are going to be leaving the planet and that already getting upset about that. And these are perfectly normal human feelings. But in a culture that we live in that doesn't really like feelings, they're kind of too messy and too weird and we don't like them, we don't know how to have them, that we'd much rather sort of eat or drink or spend our feelings away, which of course never really works. But I also lost a friend and I noticed that every time I get mad and think, well, the doctor should have seen this and somebody should have intervened and but it's just me trying to control the situation. Yeah, or like if she would have gone to this hospital, they would have saved her life. Right. Or if you had just said these certain words, she would have popped out of that eating disorder and she'd be okay. Yeah. But we can only do what we can do. We can only support the people that we love and be with them no matter where they go to, just like they have to be with us. And I think about you right now. You said that you had an eating disorder from the time you were 16, did you say? Yeah, I was 17, 16 or 17. About graduating high school, I was getting ready for my graduation and I was going to be the valedictorian. Oh and I had to be the speaker and I was so nervous and stuff. And then I just, one day, for some reason, I weighed myself and I said, oh, that looks like a huge number. And I said, oh, I'm just just cut back. But we know that people that are predisposed for eating disorders, a diet can trigger the full-fledged yes. 
eating disorder. So I lost probably half my weight. I went down to five. I'm six foot tall. But I was really lucky in that I was in the very first eating disorder treatment program in University of Iowa under Dr. Catherine Halmy. She had research dollars to see what is causing eating disorders and how to treat it. I think I got one of the placebo or not the placebo and it was behavior modification and all that. But luckily I was there for four months. So I had enough time then to recover. Nowadays, treatment centers, you have to be in and out within a week or something. But since I was there for months, at that time, the insurance, they didn't deny as much as they do now. So I was able to get to a place where I didn't die and that I recovered and I kind of go up and down over the years. But I think, like I was saying, at that crucial, critical point, I got the help I need. So I always tell people it's so important to get help. Like with our support groups, I find that the people who come to the support group, it's their first step to wanting to get help because you have to tell someone and you have to talk about it. Right. People don't want to talk about it. That's what I really encourage and I value about our support groups. I like to see people come. A mother and her daughter came last week and this is the first time she talked about it. I think she's like 42 and her daughter's like 20. And she talked about the drinking and all that, the substance abuse. But people don't talk about the eating disorder. When I was at the service, the mom came up to me and said, oh, Janice, she died of uh, too much alcohol. And I'm thinking in my mind, no, she died because she was drinking because she didn't want to eat. She told me that. She said, I'm drinking because I don't want to eat because she was urging daily. And the family, I don't think they get it. And they don't want the word eating disorder even mentioned at the service. There was Mm. no mention, none about her struggle. And it kind of frustrates me because you'd think we'd be at a point morally where we could accept that, that yes, that that was right. contributed to her death. But well, that's something I'm not going to change, Well, I guess. we have to just, we people who have lived through it, our own recovery and help other people with their own recovery, we just have to shine light on it. You know, I know that I have many years sobriety. And when I first went in, I was so ashamed and so afraid of seeing somebody I knew in the meeting. It's like, well, if they're in the meeting, then they must need it too, like I did. And I didn't think about it like that because I was so full of shame. Well, now this many years later, I'm not ashamed of it at all. I'll tell perfect strangers that I had a problem with alcohol. I no longer do, but, and I will do the same thing with eating. I'll say, yeah, I had an eating disorder, almost killed me. So let's talk about it. We just have to bring it to the light. And isn't it weird that the people at this funeral would talk about, well, she died of uh, drinking, but not of eating issue. Yep, they didn't mention the word at all. Yeah. And the other thing I see is that with mental illness, I see like National Alliance for Mental Illness and they talk about bipolar, anxiety, borderline and schizophrenia and basically they seem to not always include eating disorders but eating disorders is a serious mental illness and people with eating disorders have another comorbid illness whether it's depression or anxiety. But for some reason, even in our local NAMI, they don't have resources Mm -mm. for people with eating disorders. So they send them to us. But I wish that they would be more inclusive and can accept that it's not just one thing or another. It's not too black and white. Right. And we have to remember we're complicated people. Everybody's complicated. We all have our own stuff that we're walking around with and trying to recover from. But I think, again, we have to talk about this. Was the person depressed before 
he got an eating disorder or did he have the eating disorder first? He was bullied. I found out from meeting her friends. Well, there you go. Yeah, it was interesting. I think part of the service was a beautiful service. And one of the things I learned out of it is that I think the reason you have a service like that is to learn about the people in different parts of their life. Because I knew her now. Three of her friends knew her during different times, college, elementary, and now. It was so soothing to hear about learn from her friends about mm-hmm. all the things she did and that was part of the process but part of me just wanted to also say to them well you know she had an eating disorder too but that's kind of hard to do well it strangers. is but if we can't do it at a funeral where somebody actually gave their life for this you know it's a better place to do it and to me the work that you do where you're working with the families like you said that a lot of times you feel like you get more phone calls from the families well the families don't know what the hell to do for their daughter or their son all of a sudden their beautiful daughter or son stops eating or goes to the bathroom every night but right after dinner and they know that she's getting rid of the food or he's doing something, goes to the gym for four hours or somehow they know that it's not right and they don't know what to do because, of course, the person they try to talk to, which is the person with an eating disorder, says, I'm fine. And maybe they go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, it's just a phase. Don't worry about it. At least she's not fat. So they don't have anywhere to turn. Nobody's telling them the truth. It's so fabulous that you are there with some information for them and some support. Oh, thank you. I think the one thing I hear a lot is, uh, well, what did I do wrong? And then the other thing I hear is, well, I feed her good meals and I buy her this and I cook this for her or for him. And I said, well, it's not about the food. There's a good book title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I who has that book. Yeah. I have parents, especially from Asian communities and other ethnic backgrounds that they don't talk about it. It's embarrassing. Like I have a board member who for the longest time, she didn't want to talk about it. And so... If you're on a board and it's hard for you to talk about it, that makes it yes, <laughs> it's kind of right. It's right. kind of hard. But I just think we need to be more accepting mm-hmm. and keep working to raise awareness and make people who are struggling help them feel accept themselves because I think that's what they're craving or yearning for is love and acceptance. And I noticed when I was married that my eating disorder got better because I felt accepted and loved by someone. I always remember that was a better time in my life. And I don't know if they've proven anything like that, but when you have someone that you feel you're in love with and you feel they accept you. Like I said, for Valentine's Day, my quote is, for Valentine's Day, you should just tell your girlfriend, boyfriend, mother, sister that you love them just the way they are. Yes. And that's the best present of all. Very sweet. Very sweet. And I think that what you were talking about is if what we're wanting is love and acceptance from someone, we really want it from ourselves, but we'll use it from that other person until we have enough kind of in our own little well, and then we can love ourselves. I mean, it's sort of like, I'll love you until you can love yourself kind of a feeling. Yeah, just kind of quick. I had like a light bulb moment, and that's exactly it. And if someone loves you like you are, and then you'll come around and you'll love yourself more. Yes. I remember one of the stories that Carol Normandy, my business partner, 
tells is how she just did not like her body and especially different parts of her body, which then when she met and then, of course, married her husband, he was like, well, I don't know what's the matter with you. I love that part of your body. I think that's beautiful. And she had to say, well, out of the two of us, maybe he's the one that really sees me without this judgment I have about myself. So maybe I can let go of that. So true. And find that person who loves you unconditionally and love yourself unconditionally, of course. And one last thing I would add is that I also, as I've aged, I tend to surround myself with people who accept me as I am. Because all my life, you're trying to have everybody love you, like you, accept you. And it's so hard. And I feel like I'm always battling. But now as I get older, I'm feeling that I want to spend time with people who accept me as I am. Mm -hmm. And I love what you were saying at the beginning of this is that I have a, a really good friend who's a doctor who says, uh, you don't even know what's going to happen with the tsunami of aging. <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. oh my God. I find that that's true. Like my body image and my eating disorder was nothing compared to that. My knee doesn't want to walk. Right, <laughs> you know, exactly. My, yeah, or, and you still... Yeah, when I had fractured my femur, I thought, oh, I'm never going to walk again. This is the end of my life. And then exactly. I'm thinking, gosh, now I'm walking. Gosh, I, I, I should be so grateful. That's why I think the gratitude <laughs> journals work is because you look at the accepting thing. I think that's why they work. Like being in the present, being in the present and just knowing your values. One of the things one of our support group members said is observe your thoughts without being ruled by them. You are not your thoughts. So That's I have to right. think about that a lot. Yes. So he says that at every meeting. So I have to say, I am not my thoughts. My thoughts say that I think I'm fat. Or my thoughts say that I think I'm stupid. But I'm not my thoughts. So yeah. I, I think, say that over and over to realize that you have to accept that you are not your thoughts. Right. And that we have thoughts, but we are not the thoughts. Exactly. So that way we can just, well, that thought doesn't really work for me anymore. I'm going to let yeah. that one go. <laughs> And like what you were saying, where you had to have acceptance at some point, you found out you had cancer in order to get treatment. If you just said, no, I don't have it and I'm not going to even look at it. I don't know. Maybe you'd be dead by now. Yeah. Well, actually, I accepted it and I got different opinions and I went with the less therapy route. So I actually didn't get treatment. They said the prognosis with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma follicular B, which I had, was the same if you got treatment or you didn't after one year. (laughs) So I just did the wait and see approach. Yeah. And that was really hard to do because everybody was telling me, get irradiated, get your chemo. The doctor was telling me that. Uh And so Uh it was that point that one time that I just trusted my instinct to just do what the other physicians were advising and to be okay with that was the right decision. Right. And maybe if that outcome was different, I might have not been, but that's how. Yeah. And it sounds like for you, the treatment was patience and learning to trust yourself. Yeah, that is exactly that. Yeah, acceptance for what you think was right, what you wanted to do. And that's so hard when everybody's telling you, oh, you should be doing treatment, your family, your friends. So-and-so had cancer and he had radiation. I know. Now he's doing well. It's so hard to stick with that. And my friend recently had prostate cancer, and I didn't bring it up, but there's always the wait and see. There are certain types of 
cancers that yeah, are not of course. so aggressive. Of know. course. And it reminds me of like everybody has an opinion that they want to for sure give to you <laughs> when you're the one struggling with the thing. It's like I remember we got a call at Beyond Hunger from a mom, and then we met with the mother and the father. And uh, they were like, we don't know how she got this. We have never talked about eating disorders. We've never talked about her body wasn't great. We've never said that she couldn't do anything she wanted to do. We named her Athena, for God's sakes. We're just very supportive. And I said, well, did you keep her in a bubble? Because all she's got to do is walk outside, and she yeah. will be bombarded. <laughs> So it doesn't really matter. They're going to pick it up. If you just say, well, I've got this problem, there's going to be a million people telling you how to fix that problem. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And and one takeaway from that, my other takeaway is the fact that the parents say, well, how did I contribute to this? Never modeled this, or I didn't have an eating disorder. And they don't realize that every person is different. Every individual is different. We have different predispositions. We have different precipitating factors that trigger the eating disorder, and then we perpetuate it or whatever. But it's not the family. I mean, I know the families a lot of times, like my family, they felt so bad. Like, what did I do wrong? Because I would be walking miles and miles around my little town in Watsonville and they'd call my mom and say, how come you're not feeding your daughter? And so I regret all that time that I caused so much family. But remember... You know, I think it's very important for us to always remember that and to have acceptance for this is a way we're trying to help ourselves. It may not be the best way, and we hopefully learn new ways to help ourselves. But the beginning of the eating disorder or the body hatred or whatever is about trying to help ourselves through our lives. And it gets out of control, gets obsessive, compulsive. It made me think of that quote from... I don't know, it was Oprah or someone says, we do what we do, and when we know better, we do better. (laughs) No, it does. I mean, I feel like we have a, we're big enough people, we're a big enough container to have every kind of coping mechanism in there. It's just a matter of learning how to pick up the coping mechanism that won't hurt us. And after a while, having an eating disorder hurts us. But at first, it's a way that we've learned how to cope. Well, I really am so grateful that you came to talk today about the wonderful idea of complete acceptance, which usually makes people when they're first coming in for treatment go, well, I'm never going to accept this. But it is so important to have that radical acceptance of it. It is what it is. And now what do I do about that? Acceptance treatment, that's kind of a form of treatment now that a lot of therapists are using. Yes. Yes. Thank goodness. I think yeah. the therapists themselves have had to start accepting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A therapist told me that that's what she practices. And I said, oh, I didn't even know about it. None of my doctors had ever told me about it. When I read all about it, I said, well, this totally makes sense. Exactly. So I'm going to read, since you don't have the card with you, the bottom, which is the just for today, what I'm going to do. Today, I will practice accepting my body exactly as it is. When the desire to dislike or change my body comes up, I will say, I am learning to love and accept my body and myself exactly as I am right now. Not easy to do, especially in the culture that we live in, that's for sure. But I often think about a little baby that gets born and that baby is like okay with its body that it's coming into. Yeah, that is so true. And where do we lose that? And where do we lose it? 
Right. So we've all been babies. We can always go back to like, does this diaper make my butt look big? I mean, it's okay to be a baby. It's okay to be a grown up. It's okay to have and love the body that Before you have. Or like, can I add something really quick? I just was going to say that the best treatment for my eating disorder is when I'm around kids. Because when I'm around kids, that's why I have a lot of student volunteers. I kind of go out of my self-critical voice and I enjoy kids because they are very accepting. They're who they are. And then I'm out of my eating disorder when I'm around young kids, adolescents, yep. because they're more okay with who they are. That's and they're right. not judgmental. They don't look at me and say, she's an old lady. They look at me and say, oh, well, she plays basketball with me. We mm-hmm. love her, you know, or mm-hmm. she takes me to the park and she'll let me do this. Yeah. And so that's why I feel better when I'm around kids and adolescents. And I think that's what I love about my nonprofit is that I get to mentor a lot of students. And and actually, the students actually really mentor me. (laughs) That's our little secret. But I also think that when people tell me, I don't know how to eat. I've been on a diet for my whole life. I don't even know when I'm hungry or when I'm full. And I said, spend some time with little tiny kids. Mm. They know how to eat. They don't even have to think about it. They know when they're hungry. Yeah. Yep. They know when they're full. Right on. Right. Yeah. They don't think about it. You're right. Yeah. And you know when they like something especially, you know, <laughs> yep. and they don't care. But they don't think about it. Right. And if you give them something they don't want, they don't care that you slaved yeah. over the stove for hours. <laughs> They're not going to eat it. They don't care. Oh, I love that, Lorelei. <laughs> Me so too. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much, Janice. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about the not-so-easy-thing-to-do acceptance, but the greatest thing to do, which is acceptance. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it'snotaboutfood.com. Thanks.